0: friends and welcome to another episode of Just Another Kill Team podcast, connecting kill team communities across the globe. Today we are chatting with Rob from the Windy
1: City. Welcome, Rob. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Yeah,
2: we're excited to catch up with you a little bit. You know, it's been about a year since we last met because we met right before I came to the Chicago Open and we played a single Hunter Clay Mirror match
1: that ended up actually helping me a lot later on that weekend. <laughs> You know what, uh, what Travis isn't telling you is that he completely cleaned my clock. And I learned a lot from it too. But uh yeah, that, that was a disheartening defeat for sure. <laughs> I that
2: ended up being a tournament like that was like right at the height of the Hunter Clay power, power spike. And I definitely learned a little bit in the mirror match that I ended up applying, you know, at the two other mirror matches I played on that weekend. So it was definitely useful for both of us. Maybe a little bit more useful for me since I ended up taking that tournament. Definitely since then, it sounds like. You know, the Dice Dojo has been popping off. You know, that's where I played last time I was there in Chicago. It sounds like that's the the primary place to play in Chicago.
1: Yeah. We've we've got a handful of other game stores kind of within the city, but Chicago, uh Chicagoland Dice Dojo definitely has the biggest community there. Um, we've got the tournament coming up this weekend. We've already maxed out at twenty-four players. Um very excited for it. We've we've grown a lot. The the game's been good nice
2: and yeah i you know for listeners who don't know rob is from chicago and i guess the tournament will be happening will have happened by the time this podcast comes out just like the you know world championships of warhammer which will be happening right you know before this comes out
1: two big prestigious tournaments in the same weekend you know what what could you ask for we
2: actually got three because Jason's tournament will also have been done by the time this podcast comes out. So really just a big weekend for miniature wargaming, it sounds
0: like. <laughs> yeah, this November weekend, all the cool kids are doing it. Sounds like you're not on 100 Clade anymore and you've moved on to
2: basically a little bit of everything in our pre-show you know, check-in. You've talked about Harlequins, Breachers, Phobos, and Higher Tech Circle, I think. Just all over the map as far as team structures go
1: yeah i uh i'm definitely a player that likes to try a little bit of everything um i'd like to try all the teams find out what fits um howard tech circle I was huge on for a while they're such a fun team um uh, breachers i was playing a lot with like last last fall last winter uh, and yeah i've been playing phobos recently trying to get my hands around them
0: yeah that's a lot of fun stuff Um, I know that we... I don't think we have anything planned to talk about Hierotech Circle, but if we accidentally inject some in there, I would not be mad at all, because Hierotech Circle is super fun and interesting. Um, So just throwing that out there as just a food for thought kind of thing. Talking about food, you know, I guess that's uh, our parasocial catch-up for for the
2: week. You know, I was just in Philly and got to try the best, I think the, the best philly cheesesteak area in philly uh angelo's i think angelo's pizzeria and uh gotta say you know someone who doesn't like cheese it was a good sandwich but i would not go out of my way to get a philly cheesesteak i don't know how you guys feel about your regional regional sandwiches well uh, what kind of cheese did you get on it unfortunately i don't like cheese so i'm actually literally the worst person to try cheesesteaks just because (laughs) i don't super enjoy eating cheese my girlfriend thought it was a good sandwich but she also doesn't like sandwiches as a food type so really just the worst pair of tourists to go visit (laughs) philly and rate food i uh
1: i lived in philly for eight years before coming to chicago so uh you know you you got to try plenty of cheese steaks while while living there but uh i I think my favorite was at oscar's tavern where you could buy a cheese steak and a half which is exactly what it says on the tin (laughs) um but uh yeah i I love a cheesesteak and chicago actually has some pretty good locations believe it or not
2: i think chicago's was like the italian beef sandwich right
1: oh yeah yeah that's their that's their big sandwich here i think the the cheesesteak and the italian beef sandwich are more similar than they're different and maybe i'll get run out of the city for saying that (laughs) but uh i think i would take a cheesesteak every day now i can't share this with people in chicago
2: yeah. You know, in New York, you know, we have chopped cheeses. I had one of those while I was drunk and it was great. So that is currently the be- the favorite, but I was heavily inebriated by it when I ate it. so <laughs> I don't really know if that was important for my enjoyment of it. So at the moment, it's like chopped cheese, Philly cheesesteak, Italian. Well, actually, I don't even know because I didn't even try the Italian beef when I was in Chicago. I just ended up not having time to when I was there. What have you been up to, Jason? You have any uh, foods that you got to get for the Renegade Wargaming tournament?
0: Um, I haven't really done anything super exciting food wise. Um, I feel like there's a Jersey Mike's that I go to sometimes around Renegade time. Actually, I live pretty close to a Jersey Mike's now, and they've got a cheesesteak that's good, but I mean, I don't know. I'm a simple dude with simple tastes. Um, <laughs> other than that, I actually want to shout out Thor Mike, who's one of our Patreons. He actually. Bought the first ever copy of the end that left Minnesota. Um, the end is is my is my homemade war game, and um, nice. Thanks for that. That's a that's a yeah, big thanks, moment Mike. for Mike. Yeah, that's really exciting. Congratulations.
2: You have your Discord
0: and everything set up just
2: alongside our just another kill team Discord, right?
0: Yes, I've got a Discord set up for the end. Um I've got a website with the rules on it. It's it's been a fun journey. I've kicked off weekly game nights for that as well, which is off to a decent start. Um it's been a lot of fun. I've got three factions on the website and nine of them total between including like the playtesting stuff as well. It's uh it's been a fun little adventure. Been getting busy, you know, stealing ideas from Kill Team, I assume, with all this TTS practice? You gotta. Uh, No, it's, um, it actually is inspired after having taught like 100 people how to play Kill Team. Um, I was just trying to make something that plays faster, uh, doesn't have obscuring, but kind of captures the same vibe. (laughs) And is just like a tabletop skirmish thing. So it's it's set in the apocalypse, and then kind of like in a nutshell, um, instead of like every player activates every model... Um, your whole team is on the board and then each player has three actions and you decide what it is ahead of time so like if it was if we were using kill team models i'd be like the knob's gonna run the comms boy is gonna move and shoot and then the sniper boy is gonna do an aim shot and then you would be like okay this intercessor is gonna move and shoot this intercessor is gonna do an aim shot that one's gonna run and then we just ping pong through those three and then everyone is basically on conceal until you play a card on on them and now they're they're eligible to be shot um there's a couple other little like nuances in there it's it's super fast because all of the decision making is is put into a little window um so like kill team so you've got
2: you've got like lower model counts than kill team right
0: yeah so it's like three to eight like the hardiest team in the game has eight models and the most elite has three yeah
2: so hopefully you know thor mike give us a shout out when you get get the game in hand and tell us how it's been going Yes.
0: Yes. Definitely looking forward to that. And anyone that w- else that wants to check it out, um, we can throw a link in there as well.
2: You know, when we were doing the show notes, Rob, you actually brought up a really good point on try- how you started setting up your own like little community. Because I think you mentioned, you know, earlier that you moved from Philly to Chicago, and I did something very similar where I moved from California to New York, and in the process, kind of like created a third place for me and my friends to play our games. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the concept of a third place for anyone who doesn't know about it.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not a sociologist, so if you get a professional to tell you a different definition, then listen to them. But a third place is, it's a place beyond your home, beyond your work. Uh, it's a place that you get together with other people, you know, traditionally, this has been churches, cafes, bars, clubs. Uh, and these are places that you can go to meet, talk, share ideas, uh, socialize, uh, and be away from your home and from your work. Um, I think a lot, a lot of people have been talking about this concept recently because of lockdown and how a lot of people were stuck at home or, and, or at work or work and home became the same place. So moving to a third place is great. Just to get some of that burden off you to, to be somewhere else, uh, and meet new people. So that, that's what the, uh, the Dice Dojo has been for me. Um, after lockdown, I got out, got to socialize, make new friends, and it's been really important to me since then. So kind of building this Kill Team community is a way I can give back to that and hopefully make a third place for other people
2: yeah i mean i've done something similar and that honestly was a big deal for me in new york because you know before before i would moved i didn't actually know anyone in the city so i definitely had this happen for me at the brooklyn strategist where basically as i was running stuff i got to meet a lot of new faces and they definitely helped me in all sorts of ways you know the new york open couldn't have been run without my friends at the strat and other places that i've found in new york so when you mentioned it i was like oh yeah a third place And one of the most important things about having that third place is making sure that it was as welcoming as possible, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. And, you know, part of the responsibilities of being a community leader, whether that's formal or informal, is cultivating the vibe right like making sure everyone is welcome making sure everyone is safe uh making sure everyone's having a good time uh sometimes that means you know sacrificing your own time teaching someone new to the game uh sometimes i can be stepping in you know hey you know we're all here to have some fun cool off a little bit but uh i've been very thankful that the the crowd that plays at the community uh the cr- crowd that plays at the dojo has been wonderful haven't had any uh Awkward conversations. Haven't had to throw anyone out of the store or anything like that. So uh, I'm very thankful for that.
2: Yeah. You know, luckily for you, because, you know, I... I have been partial or been privy to some of those more awkward conversations. At oh the no. Shop. Just, you know, New York has got so many people and so many different kinds of personalities. And there's definitely a handful of stories about players who basically been, gotten like excised from like the strat just because they had some maybe questionable views that they wanted to talk about in the shop. So oh
1: boy. hopefully yeah.
2: nobody, nobody has to deal with that, but it's definitely something that, you know, as a community lead or if you just are at the shop a lot, you know, keep your eyes out, keep your ears peeled because it only takes one kind of awkward, bad interaction for people who have felt comfortable to stop feeling comfortable in places. And that's always not a great feeling to be a part of if you could have said something.
1: Right. And, you know, the, the, the saying is one bad apple spoils the bunch right so you know having w- one of those kind of poisonous personalities can drive people away and then you know it's it's a web of socialization so once one person's gone you know oh my friend doesn't go as much as i used as they used to i'm going to stop going and that's kind of how you get a real community death yeah Always got to make sure that you're
2: getting in newer players and for the more experienced players, making sure that you are a good resource for those new players, I've always found.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, Discord has done a lot to really kind of help those communities and those game stores. Uh, The Dice Dojo has a a huge games workshop uh, Discord uh, where all the different games are on there. We have different moderators, admins running each of their different games and sections. And yeah, it's really important to be welcoming teach people the ropes, um, get them those games in and show them that, you know, this hobby is awesome. We all love this hobby. I'll show you why. And, uh, you know, keep coming back.
2: Do you guys have any like special like Dice Dojo discord things that you guys do? Cause I know, you know, bands in Australia, he's got like bots set up to like key into like, I think the kill team discord and podcasts and a bunch of other stuff. Do you guys have any automation features like that? Or is it mostly just, of like people who are mods or helpers you know keeping everything in order
1: yeah we do we do have some we have an auto mod on there that you know comes through comments looking for spam or any kind of you know disruptive speech that sort of thing and then the, the mod team can review that um, what it taught me is that Blood Bowl players are a completely different breed. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're wonderful. I love the Dice Dojo's Blood, Blood Bowl community. But uh, half of those notifications are just Blood Bowl players having a good time. So uh, I don't know if you've had that experience. But uh, yeah, we... Hard.
2: <laughs> Our pool scene is uh still on the small side and they mostly play sevens at least at the strat. I think in Carcoso, one of the stores in the Brooklyn area, they have an 11s league that's very very active, but they skew a little bit more towards like a gentleman club vibe where everyone kind of already knows each other. Yep. So it's not they don't they don't do it on the internet, they do it in person, I'm sure.
1: Be- beyond that, like what I uh our discord has a monthly painting contest um, where some of the admins will come in and judge and the winner of the previous month will be a guest judge. Uh, There's a a store credit gift certificate for the winner. Uh, They have different themes every month. That's a really cool way to participate with the community. Uh, recently, we started a book club uh, that I've been participating in. It's a a 40k and recently fantasy book club, where we kind of read different books in the 40k universe. Then we meet once a month at a cafe and talk them through. Um, which I kind of joined because I was a little curious, um, but I've I've really been enjoying it. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's actually,
2: I actually have not been. I, actually, that's not true. I've been reading a little bit more 40k stuff. And I just haven't really talked to anyone about any of that stuff. So it would be kind of neat. Which one, what books have you, or what is the current book? What is the current read on the Chicago dice dojo scene?
1: So uh, we are currently reading, uh, and I'm going to be back because I'm actually not reading this book just yet, Um, but it's the, uh, the most recent uh, Fabius Bile uh, primogenitor is our November book. Um, We've read, the Infinite, The Divine, Gaunt's Ghost, Source Rising. We kind of did some of those greatest hits. But uh, we've we've been dipping our toes into fantasy last, uh, for October, for the spooky, spooky month. We read a Vampire Genevieve uh, book from 1989, so older than a lot of the people on the Discord. But uh, it was a lot of fun. It's a really kind of fun fantasy throwback book.
2: That is actually super cool. Like, just not, you're not even in the 40k verse at that point. You're actually just reading actual fantasy yeah hey that's that's good you guys have taken your your interests and then making broadening them out that sounds really cool actually did you were you playing
1: higher tech circle when you read uh the infinite and the divine uh i was um you know it and it, it definitely made me fall in love with the team when i when i first got into the game it was way back in third edition and Necron lore was very different then than it is now. So the Infinite Divine seeing these Necron characters with huge personality really kind of got me into the Hyrotech Circle. We played a, a, a narrative campaign over the summer, and Hyrotech Circle was the team I brought. And part of the campaign is people writing their own short stories, their post-battle reports, uh, kind of adding to the the fluff of the narrative as much as they want. So reading The Infinite and Divine definitely put me in that Necron uh, headspace and inspired some of what I wrote for that.
2: I mean, you know, we were supposed to do the Operative Showdown this week on uh, Imperial Navy Breachers. But, you know, Jason, if you want to kick it off, we could we could always do it a little bit of the Infinite and the Divine.
0: Operative Showdown. Yeah, I mean, do you feel like you would be thrown off if we pivoted the Operative Showdown into the higher tech circle?
1: no I, i'm always happy to talk
0: about oh, i love that i'm excited um so what do we compare probably the uh the cryptex that seems like the obvious choice billy like we got cryptex but
2: you know maybe maybe you can draw some inspiration from the infinite and the divine like which characters were you using that you cared about with the offer children? like was there a, a pre-hire circle and a post-hire circle when you were reading infinite and the divine like as you were reading you started gravitating towards different strategies
1: i mean i think the 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 great thing about Infinite Divine, you know, it follows Trazen the Infinite, who is probably the greatest standing character for an actual 40k player. Like he's he's so into his collecting all of his details, all the nuance, the history of the game. And just I think just about every player can see themselves in Trazen. Um, I think Orican starts off as a character you can't really relate to. But by the end of the book, um, I'm not going to get to too many spoilers because I think the book is awesome and really worth reading. Um, but by the end of it, Orican is uh, such a relatable uh, character.
2: Yeah, for what it's worth, I also read it on recommendation from a local higher tech circle player, Calvin, in Brooklyn. <laughs> nice. And I thought it was actually very good. I mean, it's not it's not great in 40k in the sense that like it. Spans over a crazy huge amount of time. Yeah. But like most of the events of 40K are just like a back, not even a backdrop. They're not even like a blip as far as like the characters are concerned. But the actual writing in it was was really good.
1: It was uh, way funnier than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I, I went into it expecting of, you know, your serious grimdark novel. And I laughed plenty of times. Yeah. Um, the audio book, the audio book is awesome. Uh, if you uh, I don't know if you did the audio book or the physical book, but
2: I did the audio book for this one. Yeah. Yeah, I've been it, I mean, the audiobooks for 40k. I feel like have been a little bit hit or miss. Um, but th- this one, I think, is really good. Right now, I'm listening to Leviathan. Maybe not Leviathan. Whatever the current, whatever the current book is for 10th editions release, and it's kind of so so. The Ultramarines are just kind of like dummies. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: that, that's Leviathan. We read a uh, Desolation of Ball, kind of to, to do the Space Marine vs. Tyranid of it all.
2: Yeah, but as far as like the Herotechs go, like maybe, you know, looking at the non uh, cryptex, because I think cryptex, you know, everyone right now is on Chronomancer or the Chronomancer, right? Is that what right. we're using most of the time? So there's not there's not a ton of reason to use the Psychomancer and the the Technomancer at the moment just because the Chronomancer does everything and all, all the other operatives are kind of like at a good spot. So like, how do you use the Apprentech or compare and contrast it to like the immortal Despotek, or when do you take teslas versus the um was it arc arc arc
1: projectors uh the teslas versus the gauss blasters the gauss blasters
2: yeah gauss blasters versus uh yeah the teslas
1: yeah i mean my my kind of heuristic for it was teslas you take you know against a horde team and gauss versus an elite team um and then that that can shift a little bit particularly when you get into the dark the teslas are absolutely nasty and in into the dark um and i'd probably kind of expand of the teams i would take tesla against like in into the dark i'd probably take teslas against your horde teams and your eldar teams while in open i would take gauss against the eldar um because they can just flay them with the ap1 and that's because
2: on in the dark the arcs the teslas go from five attacks on threes, three, three, splash one to five attacks on threes uh lethal five three three splash one and then you can upgrade the splash size and the amount of splash right. damage right
1: yeah you, well you can upgrade the the size it goes to like a three inch instead of the the normal splash size um the damage remains the same but yeah it's still it's it's still super threatening you know three damage is still three damage and the crits are harder to defend from yeah Awesome. And then
2: you, you get more crits because you have more dice. The chance of you spiking two or three crits is definitely higher than on open, where the gun is fine but not amazing, versus yeah. uh, four attacks on threes, four, five, AP one, which would be the Gauss, the Gauss profiles.
1: Yeah, and when you combine that with their, their strat ploy that lets them reroll one within six inches when they're shooting, um, the Relentless Onslaught, you get surprisingly consistent shooting um and with when you factor on the ap1 you're really pushing damage through it's uh it's really rough
2: did you ever take the immortal Despotek with the tessa carbine or is or was that always on the four five ap1 or is it actually just like a full-on switch once you're in the dark just because you have enough dice where it becomes basically consistent
1: yeah for me it was just a full-on switch depending on the 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 map type i was on
2: Okay. And that was uh, the Relentless Onslaught per, um, ploy. Basically, if you're within six inches, you get to reroll one of your attack dice. Basically, just command reroll.
1: Yeah. And when you get into kind of that turn two, when you're really doing a lot of your shooting with Tech Circle, um, you, you know, a lot of that shooting is within six inches.
2: Especially on In the Dark, where, you know, versus on open, you could be taking shots from across the map, which would be normal on, on open.
1: Yeah. You know, I want to go back to when you were talking about like the Chronomancer versus the other Cryptex. Yeah, um, yeah I, I definitely it. really like the Technomancer more than I think uh, most players do. I think the there, there's some matchups where just that extra resilience that the Technomancer can can grant you, with like the Nano Scarab repair swarm or the extra, um, the extra reanimation protocols potential, really gives the Technomancer some legs. Um, and the, the shooting attack from the Technomancer, the Staff of Light, You know, it's it's only 3-4, but when you look like at six dice on 3-4 with AP-1, you're really talking about a huge differential between the amounts of hits you're making and the amount of hits your opponents can save. So the the amount of damage from that Staff of Light can, can be really impressive, and I think take a lot of people uh, by surprise.
2: Okay, so you're saying like six attacks on threes, 3-4, three, AP-1 is actually a nice comparison against the... Four ta- or five attacks on threes, three, three, blast two, lethal five, or the four attacks on threes, five, three, AP one, mortal wounds three from the Chronomancer. Because the Chronomancer comes with two different weapon profiles, which, right. you know, come with, you know, nice profiles, but not six dice. Six dice is a lot of dice, especially when if you can ram it through a magnification conduit to get rerolls of any one type, I assume.
1: Right. And because you, you, even if they spike all three of their saves, uh they're only going to have two saves. So you're looking at four dice. So you're looking at 12 damage at minimum, even if they make both those saves. It you when, you're, when you factor in those rerolls, when you take advantage of that Magnification Conduit or the Relentless Onslaught, you're really getting a lot of damage through.
2: Okay, that's actually very cool. I hadn't really heard anyone playing it right now, but I guess you're using it as, you know, he's a good solo piece that is just making the rest of your team stronger. So which matchups are you looking to bring in the Technomancer versus the Chronomancer right now?
1: Any kind of matchup where, you know, it's it's going to be a real kind of grind fest, one where you're going to be doing a lot of damage, maybe one where they aren't going to be focusing on each of your individual immortals as much. You know, you, you can get that extra reanimation, which is great. It costs the, you know, it costs the APL, but that is something I was usually having my uh, apprentice do. You know, they're they're great for just doing a up action that you don't want your main Cryptech to be doing. And just having those extra spheres to reanimate getting the extra healing from it and nanoscarib repair swarm you know it also uh i'm looking at it right now i'm sorry about that but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know preventing your operatives from being injured uh, i think it's something that's really easy to underestimate but i think as players play the game more they can really appreciate the difference that that can make
2: Okay, so you which which abilities were you leaving on your cryptech versus your prentech? I guess when you're looking at the technomancer,
1: when so I'm that's at the te-
2: an important yeah, an important thing of, of for all the aspiring higher tech circle players is to figure out where your abilities are going.
1: Yeah, when I'm looking at the technomancer, I'm usually taking the rights of reanimation and the care prepare swarm. Um, so that's the the rights of reanimation um, grants you the extra. Uh,
2: Basically an extra reanimation bubble, so anyone Thank within you. six inches of the higher tech or the apprentice tech, depending on who's using rights of reanimation, can basically start a reanimation, so you get a third a third start, right? One from the ploy, one from the bug, and then one from your higher tech, or your uh, crypt tech.
1: Right. And the Nanoscarab Repair Swarm, it prevents your operatives from being injured, and in addition, they regain one additional lost wound from living metal and are reanimated additional uh, wound remaining. So when you factor in the changes to the amount of wounds that they come back with, you're talking about reanimating with full wounds realistically, somewhat consistently. And with the change to the timing of how a lot of these cryptic abilities go, you know, I'll use the Nanoscarab Repair Swarm from the Technomancer so that that cannot be injured time lasts until the next time they're activated. So you can, provi- you can take that for a turning point and a half you can take it for a long time
2: yeah yeah i mean that's a a nice and interesting way of thinking about it i think compared to everyone abusing the the mine or the temporal nano mine right now so no one else can move around i think that's probably the way that i hear most people play this but this would be you're trying to take punches probably in a shooting matchup so like vet yeah. guard or pathfinders where the extra durability is really going to come into play
1: yeah particularly with a team like vet guard that has multiple high ap threats that you know that's what that's what really spooks you right is these high ap threats so Vetguard uh inquisition inquisition is another one that particularly with the change to they can't just make you pay or deny your animation protocols anymore that's a uh, that's another matchup that i would definitely consider this in okay. it's also it's also a little bit of hedging against a nanomine nerf coming down the pipeline because i think a, a lot of people agree that uh it might be a little on the strong side, and it could have a target on it. So that's something that you know, if if you think that that's going to be a course that's GW is going to take, uh, get your games with Technomancer now so you're prepared.
0: Yeah, yeah I've I I've kind that. of thought all along that like Hierotech Circle is another one of those teams that has a lot of tools in there. Like I mean, like people haven't really explored Death Marks that much, and like I see like the mobility is a problem, but I'm like. There's going to be some kind of a cool play if someone were to dig deep enough to like do something especially nifty with a death mark and like command him to shoot again and like all that kind of stuff is like is there. But like I think it's kind of being slept on um, and, and just like the fact that they have so many tools and combos and synergies as soon as we like bother to get creative. I think a lot of cool stuff is going to surface.
1: Yeah, it's one of those teams that I, I think is so much fun to play. You'll feel so smart playing them, you know, when you bank that shot through your Apprentech and, you know, do a ton of damage against an operative they were expecting. I think there's so much cool things you can do with the team. Um, the three plus reanimation protocols, though, is such a heartbreaker. That's what really keeps me from taking this team to a tournament where I care about the outcome. Um, you know, it's so easy to you know, miss that three up on an important operative on an important turn. And that's that can just be the game. And uh, that, that can be tilting. So that's uh, definitely a team that I love playing, particularly in casual and narrative. But I don't know if I'd ever take it to a tournament.
2: Yeah, at the moment, I have never seen a game where that where where the missed reanimation protocol did not basically almost decide the game on the spot. And I have seen it missed a lot. I think at someone at New York Open, I think I watched them miss all three of them on turn three. And I was like, oh, that's basically the game.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because you're already playing with limited operatives. And, you know, the operatives you have, all of them aren't effectual in every situation. So if you're down one of those operatives that can actually put out damage or can actually score, um, it's rough. It's real rough. And even yeah, more weird. so if, if that operative is your cryptek, right? I, I think I made the analogy in the pregame uh, about the the cryptek is like the queen of your chess team. Like they, it can do so much, and it's such a single powerful operative. But if you overextend, if they get a lucky shot and it doesn't come back on turn two or turn three, a lot a lot of what the team can do falls apart and revolves around that cryptek.
2: Yeah, I mean, the team's power budget is definitely built on like, oh, you have six aggressive operatives and you get to use them twice. So it, it plays kind of like 10 operatives compared to you know most teams that are the power budget is around 10 operatives. But because you can miss every time you miss, the game kind of falls apart or like it, it like slips away from you so quickly. And then one of the things that I've heard players say when they're playing against higher tech is that you want to like start chipping away at the models, but not kill them. Then next turn, they reanimate a little bit, but then you kill five of them all at once. So if players start playing around higher tech circle that way, then the Technomancer would be a great pick there you would just have more reanimations to go around and more heals
1: just giving away all the secrets on how to go up against higher attack huh <laughs> you know I you gotta, you gotta have a
0: plan a and the plan b right no i want those, those secrets to encourage more people to play it and do that like let's get some technomancers out here
2: yeah i, re- I really hope the psychomancer eventually picks up a little bit that makes him cool right now he's just like so so
0: he's just a really
1: yeah. cool model that's really hard to build It's a it's an absolute nightmare to build, but uh, it it is one of those models that you look stats and you think this would probably be good against maybe a horde team, maybe a horde team and Into the Dark. And I haven't tested that yet, but the players I know that have were still just unimpressed by him
2: yeah maybe if he had six dice or maybe he hit on twos for the abyssal lance with the range tech. but like right now it's just you know he looks cool but it just doesn't do enough either on damage or at it's also that his like secondary abilities just don't impact that many things like spending two of your four apl on your crypt tech to just influence two operatives is just like that's just not enough when you can do temporal nanomine and stop six operatives or you know you can heal you can have a different injury bubble from the rites of reanimation and keep someone un, un, uninjured. Like those are just very powerful abilities.
1: Yeah, like the chronomancer, you know, does it half the time. The technomancer does it where they're really kind of buffing your own operatives. And then you, the thinking there being, if you can control that power from that buff, you know, you that that'll give you better results than kind of debuffing the opponent and allowing them to adjust their plan accordingly. Yeah. I guess, you know, this compared these,
2: these are all really nice things about higher tech circle, looking at, you know, your play between higher tech circle and Imperial Navy breachers or some of these other teams, do you have any skills that you found useful from higher tech circle that you've like ported over to other teams?
1: Yeah, I think that there's, there's a certain amount of overlap between breachers and higher tech circle where both of these teams are all about setting up synergies and combos within the teams and they're very mindful of their positioning within not just the enemy but within one another right like when you're looking at the crypt deck and you have to be very mindful about what you can and can't command where's your despotech if you're not commanding your despot tech, who else are you commanding and that's not dissimilar from breach and clear with navy breachers, right? You gotta have your own pockets, your own groups of combos sitting around. And you have to be mindful of that. You have to be you have to have contingencies if your opponent interrupts your plans. Okay, now who else do I breach and clear with? So there's definitely some overlap there.
2: Nice. If we, you know, before we split from the operative showdown stuff, what what is your like bread and butter breaching clear pair? That you're always trying to get off when you're using uh, Imperial Breachers.
1: Ooh, um, you know, the, the one that's right there built in is the Geist Skull and the Void Jammer. If you're bringing Ooh. the Geist Skull and the Void Jammer, you you need to use that, right? That's the, the whole reason you're bringing those operatives if you don't have, you know, just extra Breachers lying around. So either to get in that, to send it across the board, yeet it, blow it up. Um, or alternatively threaten to do that all game, you know, that's right on the tin. That's an easy one. Um, Grenadier and Axe Jack uh, together are kind of an insane AOE amount of damage. Um, Between the Reap from the Axe Jack and the Grenadier, whether you're doing the demo charge, if you're close enough, or the frag grenade, you know, you're really representing a lot of damage in one place. And, I guess the, my next favorite one is going to be the Endurant plus the last Cutter, actually. So so I, I love the Endurant because he's just, he's tanky for a team that's already pretty tanky. The two-up save and his 12-ish wounds, depending on whether you take stims or not, he, he can really get in the mix and stick around. And the hatch cutter, on the other hand, you know, hitting on fours can be heartbreaking. But if he's got combat support from that endurant, hitting on threes really makes that a much more threatening operative. And the endurant being forward up on the field, he's he can really stick around for a while. So I I love the endurant, you know, pressing a button and charging, shooting and charging, and then following it up with the hatch cutter, whose fist becomes a lot better when you have a three up instead of a four up.
2: Okay. Yeah, that's actually a nice. Nice chunk of uh, operatives. Definitely the Geist Skull, if you're going to take it, it's very good. And I've seen a lot of players never take the robots, and it just feels like a mistake if you're playing them. Maybe you don't always take both robots, but you should always be taking at least one of them, I think.
1: Yeah, more often than not, I think when players kind of move outside of just the one box of Breachers and they get those extra Breachers, it's like, oh, man, look at all these guys with guns that can do missions. You know, at, at first that feels really powerful if you've been playing with two robots all the time. But I think you're absolutely right where you want to have one, at least one robot in most matchups, and more often than not, you don't want two robots, and there aren't a whole lot of situations where you just want the extra bodies.
2: Yeah, I think just, yeah, the area denial that you can do, you know, one thing that I've seen is you can do the, move the cam bot up at some other turn, and then you can breach and clear the cambot reveal along with a gunner and that way you can snipe a model that someone's not ready for that's right. a pretty pretty nice long-range thing that you know you just really can't do with two dorks
1: and it's definitely a move that isn't always anticipated from breachers right there's such a kind of mid-range close team that a lot of people don't always give their plasma gunner or the multi-laser the the full range credit
2: yeah yeah you know You know, you've been talking a lot about how you've been playing all these teams. Have has the players from the Dice Dojo? You know, they've been seeing you play all these different teams. Do they take after you, or do they play their own thing? What's your local community
1: play like? Gosh, we we're we're lucky that we have a pretty diverse meta of teams. I think just about every bespoke team is reflected uh, among the the ones available for our players. I think recently we've had a lot of other players picking up Phobos also um legionaries and intercession are also really big you know to to no one's surprise um but we've we've had some players pick up breachers recently and i've been able to pass on some of my knowledge to them they're going to be at the tournament this weekend hope it paid off uh and hyrotech is also another one that uh kind of is i I might be a little overrepresented we've got a couple players bringing it this weekend and we have a lot of players that i think kind of came from 40k where necrons are somewhat popular and just kind of brought that into kill team once hirotech got their own team
2: i guess ninth edition was necrons versus space marines right right so there's i mean necrons are definitely one of those teams that's just like dead easy for any new player to pick up especially for like from a veteran player like ah just pick up this box spray paint it silver <laughs> and then wash it once <laughs> it <looks great. laughs> So you you mentioned that uh you got like higher Tech you've got Space Marines you you has the Commando Menace found you know poor little Chicago,
1: you know we we have a good number of Commando players we probably have about half a dozen Commando players but I don't think anyone plays commandos as their their main team you know to to use the 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 parlance we have a lot of players that have kind of started with commandos played commandos a lot and started branching off into other teams I think if you had asked me about a year ago about how far players were playing commandos um, but nowadays um, a, a little bit less yeah
0: uh, maybe that has something to do with the kind of terrain you're using or people just
1: got tired of it. What do you think? Um, what kind of terrain are you using? So we we have a, a good mix of Into the Dark and Octarius are kind of what our what we primarily play on. Last last year, we did kind of a fundraiser within the club to buy a bunch of the Into the Dark terrain, both for boarding actions in 40K and for kill team to have support or Necromunda. People use it uh horse heresy players use it for zone mortalis and that sort of thing we ended up with i think 12 sets of into the dark terrain um that i i I painted never asked me to paint that again um but we we got plenty of it so we we do about half the games on into the dark another half of the games predominantly on octarius we have a couple sets at the store that we can just take off the shelf and play but we also have a huge variety of terrain at the dice dojo we're really kind of spoiled for choice there um so whenever we do kind of narrative events or whenever we're just kind of doing more casual games we'll just throw whatever terrain we have on let's do weird stuff with it
2: yeah i would just say like you know to all the tos and all the players like don't be afraid to play on non-octarius terrain i think a uh, non-octarius terrain is definitely nice and you can even use octarius with the like other terrain like we use uh munitorum storage containers in new york and just like flat walls like heavy walls just to like break up some lines of sight because octarius at this point is very uh it's like terrain that you can definitely move through which has definitely seemed to be an issue for the uh the number of orc players in the u.s
1: yeah i mean to bring it back to navy breachers the breacher absolutely there's nothing like being behind those doors, behind the heavy walls, and still kind of have a huge amount of security, even when you're halfway up the board, it really kind of benefits those close combat and short-range teams.
2: Yeah, Especially if you're leaving everything at like the hard right angles a lot of players have been, or a lot of TOs worldwide have been setting up because of the Turning Point Tactics maps. It just means that it's so much harder to break any cover lines, and it lets melee and mid-board teams play way safer than they probably need to be on open but you know we'll see it looks like the gw boards for this year's terrain are definitely setting up for a commando sweep so we'll see if we'll see what happens at the world championships of warhammer
1: yeah i'm really excited for the new season um i think that Kind of, I, I, a lot of people balked at it when it came out, um, but I think it's going to add another dimension to the game that I think will be uh, uh, really interesting. We have a lot of people in our shop that are, you know, uh, trumpeting the return of shooty teams like your pathfinders. They're joying about this new terrain or you know, void dancers easily being able to fly onto this new terrain. So very excited for season three terrain and to see how it kind of shakes up the meta and how other teams handle it.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, fresh things. And like, just because it's way different doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Like, I'm excited and I welcome the, the big change. And, you know, like it's a lot of games anyways, just kind of like someone pulls the thread and then it turns into a crazy shootout. And if the map's just going to do that anyways, like maybe it's not as big of a change as we think. I don't know. I think it's going to be fun and fresh and I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, we've been kind of spitballing it on our Discord about kind of doing uh, a team event, right? Where you have three versus three, each three different maps. One using open into the dark, and then season three terrain. And then depending on your anticipated matchups, you move the players around, kind of like the team events that other games do. So you know, we're that, that's something we're looking forward to, and, and might give it give it a try.
2: Yeah, that sounds fun. Team events are definitely a good uh, community building thing. Have you done a team tournament in Chicago yet?
1: Uh not yet, but we're going to do one in February. Um I don't know if it'll be announced episodes out, but uh we're we're doing a uh Day tournament. Uh it'll be a doubles event. Um so, kind 2v2 of mirroring what uh Games Workshop was running at Adepticon last year, which was 2v2, one player has an open board, one player is into the dark, you can move between them. Um, that that was a huge hit for the players at our shop, so we're we're gonna do that in February, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be really interesting to see what teams people bring, how they approach having that mixed environment. I think it's really fun.
0: Yeah, I went to that, and uh, it was really fun. I definitely enjoyed that a lot. Um, I was gonna say um, when it comes to the the tournaments, it's so you've got a big one coming up. Um, It will have just passed, but like how often do you do tournaments that big?
1: So we, the 24 player tournament is the first time we've reached 24 players. We did one in the spring and got to 16, 18 players around that amount. Um, the first tournament I ran at Dojo, four players, including myself. So it's been really kind of pushing that boulder up the hill, but we've reached 24. We had a wait list. Um, so My intention and my aim is to do kind of quarterly tournaments or if at least not tournaments, then some kind of big tentpole kill team. event. We have a a weekly meetup that is pretty well attended, um, but I want to make sure our kill team players are spoiled for content and opportunities to play the game. So uh, I think quarterly tournaments or something equivalent, like we did a, a summer long narrative series of events with weekend events, something like that, just to make sure the, community has a lot to play with a lot to look forward to
0: yeah yeah that's sweet yeah so you, you've got a weekly get up that's kind of like casual open play and then the the quarterly tournaments and that's kind of like this this quarter is hitting 24 that's a great place to be in
1: yeah i think that you know 24 was kind of my stretch goal for this tournament i i didn't uh, honestly think would hit the cap but you know, we we've exceeded it, and I think the the next time we're going to try and expand the space we can play on, um, and maybe expand to a four round tournament uh, so we can accommodate uh, more players, get more games in. Um, there, there's a real appetite for the game that uh, isn't being met, so I'm I'm trying to to get as much of that as I can.
2: And this is at the Dice Dojo, I assume, right?
1: Yeah, this is all at the Dice Dojo. Um, we have a few other shops locally that do. Um, usually like at an Indepticon prep kind of tournament. Um, we have some uh, other TOs in, you know, like in South Bend, Indiana or downstate in Springfield that run some tournaments. Um, but when it comes to tournaments locally, you know, there there isn't as much as I want. So I'm carrying it forward. I'm trying to get this community bigger, get some more events going. Because, you know, I'm sure you all have experience as running a tournament as a TO a lot of the time you want to play in that tournament and TOing and playing in that tournament aren't uh, always the best idea. Yeah, I would definitely tell people not to
2: do it. I know a lot of TOs do do it, but I think it just leads to too many kind of like bad feels for the newer players, especially if you get caught in something. It also kind of drives home that new player thing where they're like, they don't want to ask for help, which I don't think is great.
1: Yeah, I think that... You know, personally, I would rather participate if I'm participating participating in the tournament. I don't want the TOB to be present. I don't want them to have to pay attention to a game. And you know, whenever you're creating any event, think about what you would want in that event, and your passion will follow through and bring people to it. So, yeah, I agree with you, Travis.
2: Yeah, definitely. is not like I'm for. I've definitely seen. You know, we've we've heard of other players who you know one of my local guys in westchester he runs his own tournament and he wants to play in them because he only gets so much time to play in these tournaments so there's a lot of different competing things for why people run tournaments so i'm definitely open to those arguments but personally i feel like if the goal is to grow the scene you really want to make sure that those players feel like they're taken care of you know speaking of like you know players from your hometown you have any uh Characters that help you set up in Chicago or, you know, make sure that the Chicago scene is working outside of you.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, shout out to, uh, to Mike K, Colby and Matt V. These were players that, you know, when I was running these four player events, three player events, trying to get the scene off the off the ground. They were there attending every event, really kind of bringing the vibes, being great members of the community. We've got uh, JT, who's kind of our local uh, painting judge. He's, a, he's an award-winning painter. He's, he's excellent. He's also a great friend and great kill team player. Um, I'm pretty sure he's put, put in more games with a Compendium Ecclesiarchy than any other player in the world. Um, so I really appreciate him, always willing to try out different matchups. Uh, locally, we have uh, Nick M., who you might know as Venture Minis. Uh, they do their own videos. They've got a great video on Vet Guard that you know I consider kind of the the go-to document if you're starting that team, uh, and even if you're playing against that team, if you haven't learned how threatening that demo vet can be, that video will tell you that. And uh, of course, I'd be remiss, you know, not to thank JD, Lex, and Emma at the Dice Dojo who really give us that space, that tournament, the prize support to. Let a community grow.
2: And really, who's who in Chicago, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean we've we've got a, a lot of really interesting person. I mentioned Michael. Um, he he's probably my favorite kit basher out there. He has probably about half a dozen kill teams. But they're all or orc-themed. He's got some blooded grots that'll really uh, make you laugh. Uh, He's got some blooded grots working on some orc orc intercession teams. Uh, Kassirkin, but as kind of your more elite grots. He's got some really inspiring stuff.
0: Yeah, that's that's super fun. Um, We've got a... uh, There's a player over here that had an orc intercession team as well, and he actually won a best-painted... He had like a whole display board. It was like a tiki hut. Yeah, I mean... So good. Uh, yeah, I I, I, I played, played against that guy at a Yeah, <laughs> yep. He's local over here. Um, sweet. Yeah. So, moving right along into niche tactics, <laughs> niche tactics. we kind of teased a little bit earlier that we were going to chat about Phobos. Um, we're gonna we're gonna make that the topic of niche tactics. So, when it comes to the way to play Phobos, um, do you have like how do you expect your turns to go in terms of scoring? Do you do you like to uh, lurk a little bit and then pounce or like keep it even like score more on the early game more on the late game kind of keep it steady
1: yeah i think and again you know i'm I'm still learning the team i think tomas at two casuals really kind of the 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 authority on the tactics that's who i've learned from but i think that for me with phobos you really want to score early because the durability of your models doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a lot of power in the late game so i think taking advantage of their mobility um of their specialists all the really neat kind of crafty things they can do taking advantage of those early to score as much as you can i think is the way to play make that offer um you know, turn two is going to be your most crucial turn, but turn one, you really want to set yourself up for that turn two and put that victory point lead in place early. So are you willing to do
0: like something risky to get like a like, let's say it's loot, for example, are you are you pushing aggressively for that four two lead or just kind of case by case?
1: No, I, I I think that four two lead on loot is great. You really want to like drink their milkshake, right? You've got the mobility where you can get your operatives up towards their objectives, and you you have some tricks to kind of plant your your operative there and di- disincentivize them from moving up there, right? You've got smoke to protect your operatives. You've got the haywire mine to just throw that out and make your opponent really consider. Is now the time to go up against that? And is that a risk I'm willing to take? Um, yeah, I think going for that 4-2 lead on loot is is the way to go.
2: And then, you know, going into the future turns, are you trying to drop into like a 2-4 or keep it even?
1: There you really want to keep it even. Uh, you know, once once you've extended, you, you really need to start punching back and eliminating the threats to your operatives, right? So you're going to be spending a lot of command points on that on turn two they're they're a, a cp hungry team uh but you've really got to use them on those strategic ploys to, to get the extra movement the mission action to get p1 to get two shots you know you want to position yourself forward and aggressively and then leverage those to eliminate threats and kind of keep that position
0: yeah um so i'm a little bit curious if you have thought about or dabbled at all in like any of the peer teams um like if there's any merit actually this could have been an operative showdown question uh but here's a here's a goofy one if you had to go all in cursors or all in reavers which would you do and why
1: yeah so if i had to pick one as kind of an all-comers list. I'd probably go all reavers that they're an operative that I've really kind of come around on. I think when the, the team was first shown, you know, they were the least kind of sexy of all the options, right? Because they just have the sergeant and the regular operative where they really shine is kind of in the, equipment they can make, and now they can do terror for zero. You know, there's a lot of power that comes in that terror, but doesn't jump off the page. Um, so I think that I would go all reavers now if I had to do all six, but I think there is merit in six incursors, and, and even in not a funny meme kind of way. Like I think that going six incursors with smoke and really leveraging, being able to shoot through smoke, not be obscured, and really kind of like lay the hurt on other long range teams in ways that they're not expecting.
0: Yeah, it gets pretty disgusting. Not gonna lie, I've uh, I've done quite a bit of of both, and um, I just fobos are so much fun.
1: Yeah, the, and, and that's what makes the team really cool. You have the infiltrators have this broad spectrum of specialists to pick and choose from that all have their place. Then you have the incursors, which are those you know operatives that are taking shots that no one has any right taking. And then you have your reavers, which are a perfectly respectable melee operative with really high mobility and their ability to Reduce opponents APL and take points from them that they weren't expecting. Um, yeah, it's how you balance those operatives and how you change them depending on the matchup is what really interests me in the Phobos. Yeah,
0: so um, there's one thing that I actually thought of. Um, I haven't done the matchup, but like if I was playing Phobos and I was coming up against Inquisition, I think I would strongly consider taking like four reavers maybe even five just because like they just shutting off your stratagems doesn't really matter that much if you just have five dudes that are just gonna jetpack into your back lines and start cutting people um double shoot doesn't really matter double fight doesn't really matter because you just shoot and fight and eat everyone alive um that's just kind of a a fun little thought that i was thinking of um yeah yeah,
1: and
2: I think uh, all Reavers has always been kind of a good skew list for the human, human-sized human teams, right? If you've only got seven wounds, you can't... It's just bad touch with the Reavers. And if you've got five of them, it's bad touch everywhere. So you've got to play way cagier on your movement or just not move up. And now that Terror is free, you control a lot more of that board space just by existing, which can be great if you're starting on Conceal, right?
0: Yeah, and if you ever yeah. do the the pure Reaver thing, like a couple of... uh Tac that are really, really fun to pair with that are... um, If you do subversive control, it's really easy to just, like, jump into someone's backfield on turn three and then with terror just steal their objective. Um, It's it's really just candy from a baby, that one. Um, And then the other one is um the one where you steal their barricades as well uh seize defenses because you just have a reaver run out there and just like grab a grab a barricade um it's it's a bonus if your opponent is going to take recon and they're trying to um recover item because you just park a reaver on that item and you just say gg
1: yeah no i i'm right there with you i really liked the infiltration archetype with phobos in a way that i don't like it with a lot of other teams like seize defenses is, is the type of objective that with Phobos, you could reveal that turn one and plausibly take it depending on how your opponent has deployed. And there's, there's nothing like revealing that in turn one, your opponent looking at their board and thinking like they can't possibly reach this. They can't possibly take these objectives. Um, but you, you've got the APL, you have the mobility, you have some of that difference with, with lines that really make them question whether they need to take it back. Yeah, I, th- I think Infiltrate with Phobos is a ton of fun.
2: And on In the Dark, you know, those barricades are much easier to get to than they are on Open, where, like, the barricades might actually be in your opponent's territory, but on In the Dark, people do use them on the center line for some of those mid-board objectives from time to time. They probably shouldn't
1: against Phobos, but I have seen people do it. It's definitely the sort of thing that, yeah, as as... It's, it's one of those tricks, and Phobos has a ton of these, that your opponent will fall for once. And then once they've gone up against Phobos a few times and they're to it, they won't fall for it again. Phobos has many of them that just about every game, if you're not a Phobos master, you're learning
0: something. And like there is kind of a thing where some maps you look at it and if they don't put a barricade somewhere you're just gonna like eat them alive and if they do you take it and score points either way so it's kind of like it doesn't matter if they know it's coming or not like you're gonna have a benefit that's really gonna give you an edge either way
1: yeah a lot of teams depend on those barricades to survive from your kind of counter shooting so yeah if they don't place that barricade then are you just gonna put people out on the spot naked i don't think so
2: yeah and you know for for what it's worth if you're playing all reavers you can still do the bolter discipline thing the three four ap1 bolter profile is actually what you're trying to do with deadly shots anyways so it doesn't even turn off the vanguard double shoot thing that everyone is trying to do and it makes your melee that much more dangerous when people try to charge you
1: you know just for you the next time I go to, i'm i gonna play it's gonna be six reavers bolter discipline build and i'm never gonna get into melee right let, let, let's let's test it out
0: yeah um i i love that <laughs> Yeah, if
2: there's one thing that we love on here, it's Jason throwing out wild skew strategy into the internet (laughs) to see if people will deal with him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's my main thing. Um, Yeah, one of my favorite uh, things to rant about, I've said it in other episodes and stuff as well, is just six and cursors. Um, I'll put a purity seal on the sergeant and one on the sniper. Then I I put a smoke grenade on just one of the goons and I don't even bring the mine. Put everyone on all engage and then just line up obscured shots on everyone and just go completely nuts. If they kill you, it gives you more overwatch. It's totally fine. You've got your two dudes that have the the re-rolls from your purity seals, so they're just going to butcher everyone um no cover is way stronger than it looks like and then you pop a smoke grenade once and just have like three incursors shoot through it and it's just like absolute butchery and then after that you just like run around and it's like you just go for the craziest alpha strike and it sounds ridiculous but it's it's like six space marines that ignore obscuring is is ludicrous Um, It's like the big thing that people were complaining about in 10th edition when it first launched and towering was a huge menace, and It's just like, you can't hide from it. They just eat you alive. It's just that, but the kill team version, we've got six space marines. You can't hide from them. It's a nightmare. I love
1: it. That's the fun thing is the team gives you guerrilla tactics and trying to, you know, entice you into spending your AP to go back and conceal and shoot. It's like, why do that when I could do that for my whole team for one AP? like i i think part of it was we had seen that text before you know you ignore smoke and it was trinket text before but like now this team can really leverage it to get that non reciprocal shooting it's it's awesome
2: yeah yeah, I mean, the, the old rules definitely did not do them any favors. And now that they have the ignore obscurity effect, they do have a lot more play. Definitely to the point where the I have extra models on the painting desk that I need to paint so that I can get up to four incursors. I e- won't say that I'm going to go play six anytime soon because it's very map dependent. And I just haven't seen those maps yet. But I'm definitely I definitely need to get to the fourth one. Yeah, that's, that seems like a good spot for us to end off for the night, right? I think so. Yeah, this has been a fun yeah. one. Anything else, uh, you know, you, you got the floor for a little bit, Rob, anything you want to shout out, any people, places, tournaments, you know, obviously your big tournament will be done by the time this comes out. But if you have any other ones that you want to prep, you know, you've got your February tournament um, anything planned for January or, you know, late December.
1: Yeah, or we've, even got, early December? yeah we've got uh, starting in January, we're going to have a 10 week kind of road to Adepticon competitive league for our kill team community we're local to Adepticon, we're really spoiled. Um so we've got a pretty good showing there. So we're going to spend 10 weeks uh with our competitively minded players testing out matchups getting ready for the tournament. So I'm looking forward to that. Um we've got our doubles tournament coming up in February and uh I expect we'll have a, another kill team tournament in the spring. Um once uh the weather starts getting a little better here in Chicago, that becomes a more attractive place to come and visit. But uh, yeah, that's what we've got going on, and uh, I'm looking forward to it.
2: I think Jason, you've got the end. You've got all the cool things going on over in your little board game world, along with the Renegade War game, which will be done by the time this is up. Any other big Minnesota events, or will the ice ice over the scene?
0: Um, You know, like this is this is the season for me to come awake and and to come alive. I kind of, like, I was running a league before, and then I just just fizzled out accidentally because I was so busy. But if people are, are down to, to come back, I think I'll run another league. Um, yeah, probably run a couple other smaller events. Um, Renegade, um, we've got a bunch of events at Renegade, so, like, I've noticed that people... Are willing to split for the other events. Like some of the kill team players went over to forty k. Um, some people went to War Cry. Some people went to Heresy. It's kind of all over the place. So um, I think if we run a big tournament that is is only kill team, we can make it even bigger than what Renegade's is going to be this year. Um, so that's that's just a little food for thought. Some stuff that's coming up. Um, and then anyone that's listening, if you are looking to find games in Minnesota, if you are, you can reach out and we'll hook you up. You know,
2: and if you want to measure, you know, we've still got the measuring gauges over at Luster's workshop, and hopefully by the time everyone hears this, the World Championship Warhammer will have gone through. Nothing dramatic will have happened, and we'll have a brand new World Champion.
0: Yes. Well, thank you, listeners, for listening until the end, and
1: thanks, Rob, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a ton of fun. If you're in the Chicago area and you're looking. Some kill team, feel free to reach out to me at chicagokillteam at gmail.com. Uh, we're running t- plenty of events at Dice Dojo. We've got a growing community and a lot of other Midwest TOs, so uh, looking forward to it. Love and Kill Team. Thanks for having me.